Welcome to Punta Vista Socialist Club, episode 16. Uh, I'm your hungover friend, Andrew. And with me we have, for the first time in a while, uh, Ben. Ben is back. Hello. I'm, I'm back. Uh, online. I'm on the internet again. He's, for a day. He's back. Back to post, just momentarily. Uh, yeah. We have the ever-present, ever-present, ever-vigilant Theo. Hello. And our special guest, all the way from the country that Ben is also in, in the States. How <laughs> come I didn't get that? Uh, Why didn't you say all the way from well, where I am? Look, we can, we can get to talking about where you are, the strange wilderness that you've been in. Yeah, you're burying the lead, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have film critic Danny Bowes. How are you, Danny? Hello, all. Hello. Welcome to Cyber Australia. Yes. <laughs> yes. The close the closest that I that, that I've ever been, sadly. Yes. Yeah, I think legally we're on Australian internet right now. That's how <laughs> it works. All the ones are zeros yes. and all the zeros are ones. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yes. Such a dumbass. That took me like two seconds to be like, oh wow, that was a good joke. It's like <laughs> <laughs> That, that's the problem. The geographic distance means that I'm going to be like two seconds late getting every joke. So, you know, it's, it's just, it's just mm. to be, be prepared for a little bit of uh, awkward dumbassery. That's also my excuse. Ah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so Ben, Ben's been on the road. Ben's mm-hmm. been on the road in the States traveling around in his old timey van. In the most Jack Kerouac sense of the phrase. Yes. Very much extremely on the road. Yeah. Um, offline and on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, where are you currently? Uh, I'm in beautiful Portland, Oregon. Oh. Uh, it's it's nice. It is not hugely dissimilar to Portlandia, and not hugely <laughs> similar to Portlandia. It's just sort of somewhere somewhere in the middle. Hmm. Hmm. Are you? Um. I understand you are planning to attend an alt right rally shortly. I don't know if I'd phrase it in those exact words. I, I will be... Oh, sorry, that you're ex- you're excited about going to an alt-right rally. You're doing some organising. <laughs> I don't know if any of these are the words that I would use. I will certainly be near an alt-right rally tomorrow. Or two rallies. There's some weird shit where the organiser is to like a- attempting to divert a counter-protest attention by himself attending like a solitary rally over the border in like next to the river in northern Portland, but having everyone else show up to another rally uh, in Vancouver, Washington, just over the river. So I'm going to both. uh, And it's expected that a lot of counter protesters are going to show up and it's going to get pretty wild. So that'll be fun. Mm. Yeah. That seems very convoluted. It's very confusing. Mm. There's like, A lot of different groups on both sides are rocking up, and I barely understand what any of them are. So I'm just going to be walking around and then taking photos of people hopefully beating each other up and then, I don't know, seeing what happens. Write an, write an article about it. Yeah, I think I think Pedestrian is going to give me money to do that, uh, but we'll, we'll find out. Wow. Can't believe they're going to pay you to be racist now. Finally. That's what I've been pushing for ever since I started. I thought that's what they hired me for, but finally they're monetizing my extreme racism. Yeah. It's the only growth industry left. Yeah. yeah. Well, I got in on the ground floor, oh. so yeah. it's taken off. So uh, we thought we would have Danny on today to talk about a bit of bit of Australian cinema. Mm. Yes. Uh, we all... 
we all had a look at some... Well, Ben didn't have a look at anything because he was um, on Jack Kerouac's road. He's living La Vida Loca. We do not have movies then. I've been reading yes. these things called uh, Abukes, I believe it's pronounced. <laughs> uh, film is beyond my capacity at the moment. You've just been reading the covers of VHS tapes that you've been buying. Yeah, that would actually keep me going for a little while at the moment. There's a lot of content there, a lot of blurbs, <laughs> a lot of titles. Those beautiful oyster shell VHS tapes. Yeah, because the, the Yanks apparently didn't have a lot of the, um, you know how we had the big chunky plastic ones? Yeah, yeah. Nearly all of theirs are just the those thin, the thin cardboard covers. Uh, and I don't know why that is. Oh, just the sleeves. Yeah, just the little ones where it's the, you know, it's just a little thin box. So they're about the size and shape of the tape itself, as opposed to our ones, which the plastic covers made them three times as big as the tape. Mm. We used to have a lot of those in the 80s, yeah. but but they went over to the cardboard, I guess, because they cost less. So, mm. you know, that, that is a very American thing, you know, doing the cheapest, most bullshit way imaginable. Of, of putting <laughs> stuff out, and God bless them for it. Well, yeah, I mean, it does. They do take up a lot less space on the bookshelf because, I mean, the, the the big plastic ones, I think Disney still put those out after a while. So, like, I have a copy of Babe on VHS that's like the size of a fucking dictionary. And then, like, yeah. all the rest of my VHS tapes are, like, you know, normal size. I'm really glad that 50% uh, of this podcast have a collection of VHS tapes, because now I feel like less of an idiot. Oh, I'm, I'm going to offer my opinion that um, I am mortified by VHS and cannot watch it. Like... Well, you're all about that high def. You love those high def pixels. When I met my wife, she was living in a share house where they just had... A um, they just had a small TV and a VCR and a whole bunch of tapes. And well, your wife was like, she was living in like a punk house, right? Well, yeah, but um, but yeah, I remember having like that two-minute-long novelty of going, yeah, I used to, I spent so many hours of my life watching videotapes, and then you actually like put one on, and all of the color has been sucked out of the video. It's all all crackly and shit from being overplayed, and they're all four by three, not filling up the like the letterbox format TV that all TVs are now. Oh, I I think you're uh, you're erasing that. There's a number of uh, VHS releases that they went halfway. They partially letterboxed them, so they're like uh, halfway in between four three and sixteen nine. Yeah, just just make it worse somehow. That's great. <laughs> Yeah, it was a really weird decision. And uh, they're not unwatchable. Oh. I watch them all the fucking time uh, because I have a, the TV at the foot of my bed and I watch them like Predator before I go to sleep most nights of the week. Yes, very normal. Yeah. Very normal stuff. I have normal hobbies and habits that a normal person does. Well, I even feel like now when I think of like uh, like how I used to watch um, DVDs, cause it, like, just because it's so easy to watch streaming stuff now when i think of how i used to like um yeah fall asleep most nights watching something like a dvd of future armor or something like that and so every night at some stage of the night at like you know two or three a.m i would wake up to the like beeping and bleeping that was on the menu screen mm. of the dvd that would just play on like a 15 second loop yeah and you would wake up feeling like you were being slowly driven insane by just this 
this small repeating loop of audio over and over again. And now I think to myself, what a savage. What a savage I was. The Futurama box sets have, like, the menu loop is relatively long because it'll have, like, like season four was, like, Zap Brannigan just saying things, mm. like, every 30 seconds. But there was only, like, four of those. They just get, like, drilled into your skull. <laughs> I had a very similar experience falling asleep watching a lot of Futurama. That would have been an interesting time for content in terms of, like, yeah, there would have been, you know, whole whole parts of studios that just sat around going, well, what can we, what can we make this menu screen do? What mm. DVD Easter eggs can we put in this box set? It was a different time. Very unnecessary. Different world. Mm. The world of about 10 years ago. <laughs> Well, I I don't know. I find I feel like I've now sort of come full circle on how um how I used to get movies, which was by you know going and renting a very tall pile of VHS and taking it home with me for like ten bucks or whatever uh, for a week, and yeah, and then for ages there it was it was easier to like download a movie than it was to actually go and get a copy of it. Um, I don't know what the prices of, of just, like, buying a DVD would have been, Danny, in the States in, like, the 2000s. Uh, they were generally around, like, uh, like 19 or 24 bucks, I think, a lot of them. I, I, I might be thinking a little bit farther back. No, that sounds pretty similar. They were really expensive. And then Blu-rays came out, and then that was what Blu-rays cost. And then, D, like, standard def DVDs... You can get them for like four or five bucks now. Yeah, well, that sounds pretty similar in in that like. Is that a is that a kookaburra outside your house? Getting the real Australian experience. Wow, that is a very Australian touch to a podcast. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like a yeah, I think it was very similar here in that you know just to buy a. A movie, a newish DVD, or a CD was like thirty bucks. Yeah, and I'm sure we all knew heaps of people who would like get their paycheck and just go and buy like three movies. Mm. You know, I, go and get yeah. three DVDs. Go and get their Lord of the Rings box set or whatever. I only ever bought stuff out of the, like the ten dollar bins. Yeah, which was great because like all the movies I was into were the ones that would get marked down, so it kind of worked out all right. So for a, for a long time, you know, it actually was easier to just pirate a movie than it was to say, do I actually want to pay 30 bucks for this copy of whatever? Yeah, especially because, like, if you wanted something and it was on Amazon, you just couldn't get it because it wouldn't be region four. And so mm. we were kind of beholden mm. to that whole, uh, like, physical media politicking that just stopped Australia from getting so much for no good reason. We'd just end up being, can't buy this. Sorry. Danny, have you ever heard of the Australia tax? <laughs> uh, I have. And, and I, the, the only experience that I have that I guess is like remotely similar is like when I was uh, was looking for a copy of uh, Truffaut's Such a Gorgeous Kid Like Me, uh, which was not available in America, but it, it was available in a European edition. And so it was like I was you know, like, oh, do I, you know, like, spend $45 on the European DVD and then get, like, a region-free Blu-ray uh, DVD player? And I was like, that's insane. I'll never do that. But, yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> whenever I hear you uh, talk about, like, 
uh, that happening in 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 Australia. It's just sort of like, I mean, that like, how the fuck did that happen? Was it like politicians being assholes, or was it just like, no, just don't. They just didn't care. I don't think. I mean, because businesses could put these things in place, and there was no law against doing it. Um, you know, even though I think we have pretty, you know, some pretty decent like anti-competitive <clears throat> stuff here in Australia, it's still not covered, and they just kept doing it. Um, and no one was stopping them. So it is. They have made laws about it now, though, right? You can't put region locking into DVD players anymore in Australia. Yeah, oh, I'm not sure. I don't think anyone tends to buy them anymore. I think it kind of initially started in Australia as being um, that due to our due to our physical location, we were genuinely like kind of the last the last leg of the supply train. Um, so when everybody was, was buying physical goods for everything, good old <laughs> supply train, um, toot toot. The train full of DVDs that goes around all of the countries in the world goes and around the world. finishes in Australia. <laughs> and this old timey man leans out the side of the train, last stop, Australia. That's it. Plays his little whistle. And just one stop for the entirety of Australia, not yeah. multiple stops in Australia. Yeah. yeah, exactly in the middle where we all rush there to get our copies of Daddy Daycare or whatever. <laughs> The one blockbuster in Alice Springs. <laughs> I'm glad you guys are familiar with the train. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, we know about the dead train, yeah. Yeah, so that was the excuse for a long time, was that, like, you know, we, we were kind of the last, last stop on the big train. But where <laughs> it kind of came undone was when um, everybody started to get, like, high-speed internet and everything, and a lot of places started doing digital distribution of movies and software licenses and things like that. And the prices just kind of stayed the same. Like, you could buy, you know, you could buy a video game through the Xbox Store or, like, um, Xbox Live or the PlayStation Network or something like that. Yet, for some reason, it still costs, like, 40% more to buy it and just download it to your hard drive than it did if you were in America. Yeah, and on Steam, they can choose which currency to put it in or at least they used to be able to so what you would get is when the australian dollar is at you know 50 or 60 cents or whatever um they would advertise it at us prices and so you'd end up paying a shitload of money um and then when the australian dollar was strong they go oh well we're localizing our prices now and they'd be in australian dollars and then you'd pay a shitload of money um and just whatever Mm. works out best for them sucks you all have been unjustly fucked yep Mm. victims victims of anti-australian racism once again yes but uh yeah i feel like i've come full circle now in that um there's been a few times recently where i've wanted to watch a movie like um uh one of the films that we checked out for our conversation with danny today and it was an australian movie uh mystery road from 2013 and it's not the kind of thing that would be, I, I would assume, is not the kind of thing that would be super prominent on torrent sites and that sort of stuff. The Australian government's, like, blocked a bunch of torrent sites now. But, yeah, compared to now, the effort to actually go and pirate a movie versus having, like, a, a smart TV with the Google Play Store on it, and I just go, hey, here's this movie I'm thinking of, and it says, you can rent that right now for four bucks. And it's it's just like going to a video store, except I don't have to physically move at all. <laughs> yeah, and I think this kind of like points out how bullshit. Um, I, I don't know if um, 
if you know Danny, but like Australians are maligned as being like some of the, the worst pirates in the kind of first world nations. Um, and when they say that, they usually mean Game of Thrones, where Australian audiences are held hostage to the exclusive deal that HBO has with Foxtel, who has a long and storied history of being very anti-competitive in Australia. And they kind of go, well, if you don't, if you want to watch it, you just got to sign up for this $30 plan and then pay for the $30 bonus plan on top. Uh, and then, you know, all this, all this stuff on top. And then you have what Andrew's talking about, where you can just go online on, you know, I did it on PlayStation Network and it costs like $3 to hire this movie. And that's all people want. Yeah. That's all anyone wants in Australia is to say, hey, we don't want to sign up for your bullshit for, you know, a year's worth of cable TV to watch this one show. We just want you to sell it to us. And that's the solution yeah. for piracy mm. in Australia. Mm. We just want to pay our money and move on. That was always the thing with piracy was that, like, you know, there were a lot of people who were pirating shit who weren't necessarily, like, you know, philosophically committed to, you know, like, stealing it or too cheap to pay for it. It was just like you're making it fucking impossible for me to see otherwise. So it's like, I just mm. make it simple. I'll give you like a, 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 a reasonable amount of money. Just stop yeah. fucking me over this, you know? And it's like, I mean, and that's what yeah. I like, I'm glad because I mean, you know, like, I'll admit it. You know, like I used to pirate stuff cause I couldn't get it, you know, by other means. And I was dead broke, you know, or it's like, it'd be the end of the year and I'd have to put together like my best of the year list or whatever, you know, like um for some column. And there'd be, like, eight movies that I had no access to that hadn't been, you know, like, released for me to see it yet. And I would have to go torrent them because, like, I wasn't able to give somebody, you know, ten bucks to to watch them or, you know, like, four or five dollars mm. to rent them. Oh, we mm. still have that as well. Um, like, in a big way where movies take, like, three months to come out in Australia and they've been literally everywhere else in the world. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, which is absurd. I mean, it's like it's getting to the point where it's like you got to release everything in the world on the same day. Otherwise, it's like, you know, the the, the, the the you know, the maintaining things the way that they have been is is just like artificial and archaic. You know? Yep. Mm. Yeah. I've um I've noticed a few. I feel like I've seen a few of my local cinemas starting to do things that are a bit different to try and deal with that sort of stuff like um like places are starting to do that kind of you know closing the window between theatrical release and streaming and stuff like that like just right. releasing them both at the same time because it's like people say there there are just people who would rather pay 10 bucks and sit at home and watch it on their tv than go out and do the whole experience of going to the movies but the point like it doesn't have to be a choice between well you either have to have this big artificially enforced window where you expect everybody to go and put down like it's it's not cheap to go to the movies anymore man like nope it's not it's not a casual experience anymore it's like if you want to if you want to take a couple of kids to the movies or whatever that shit's going to cost you like 80 bucks yeah. mm -hmm. and um it's not that casual thing although yeah i've i've seen a few different things like that and even a very a very large chain near me um they also seem to now be on a weekly basis just showing like um just showing uh new prints of of old movies like predator and dirty dancing and shit like that i've i've seen a few things of like people going to see um the what is it the 20 20th 15th anniversary of um uh the fifth element 20th, yeah, yeah. 
20th? Yeah. yeah. And um like I I love that sort of stuff. I think that's a really good experience for people to to be able to go and see some really classic piece of cinema that they've been, you know, watching on VHS or DVD or whatever um for their own whole life and then getting to go and see what that was actually like as a cinema release. Oh yeah. I mean that's actually like more worth paying high ticket prices in in movie theaters to see especially something like The Fifth Element that's like I mean cuz I mean I saw that in the theater when it first came out and it was an experience, you know. Uh, oh man. Especially considering I was like 19 and I was high, you know, it's like seeing The Fifth Element it's just like <laughs> oh god is real and he loves me, you know, like kind of <laughs> Oh man, it's such a visually lush movie. Mm. Yeah, it's um, it's really, really good. It's um, it's definitely one of my, one of my all-time favorite movies. That one, I think. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm really into that whole thing of um, of getting to go and see older movies like that, and and it's yeah, I think it's just a good example as well of saying like, you know, cinemas need to kind of give you a few other options than well these are the three movies that are on this week from major studios and you can pay a whole bunch of money yeah. to watch them and that's bring that's your all kids come spend 200 dollars to watch geostorm i went to this thing where palace was like the the palace near my place was screening uh, i don't know it was like an hour and a half worth of episodes of adventure time where i was like oh yeah fuck yeah that <laughs> rules and then went to that and then just like had this epiphany halfway through because palace serves beer and i'd been like knocking them back extremely quickly just this realization of being like oh i'm i'm in a like a theater full of children day drinking at like 10 in the morning <laughs> like smashing beers <laughs> watching a cartoon for children uh, it was great no regrets i thought that was going to go in the other direction i thought you were going to say that you like realized you'd been you'd been honey potted by a cinema into just drinking tons of very expensive beer uh no i was i, I always knew they were doing that and i go along with it and it's fine <laughs> yes, that part of it is fully, <laughs> yeah, fully voluntary. Yeah, yeah. Serving, serving booze in cinemas—that's a nice new development. Oh, well. so good! It's a great so idea. good. But if, if they really do need to start, uh, like for longer movies, if they're going to be serving lots of beer, like reintroducing the concept of the intermission. Would, would yes, mm, I'm on board. Oh with yes. That. Well, if every blockbuster has to be three hours long, they should start yes. having. Yeah. Palace does, like, the three different wine sizes. Like, they give you a regular wine glass, but they've got the normal one, which is, like, a normal serving of wine. Then, like, the epic serving, which is, like, basically two glasses worth of wine in one glass. And then one where they just fill it full to the brim, which is, like, <laughs> it's, like, four or five glasses of wine, like, 150 ml servings or whatever. Except you don't pace it for the whole movie. Like, you get it, and then you just smash it in, like, half an hour, and then you're like, I think I just drank nearly an entire bottle of wine. Oh, no. Oh, shit, this movie's in 3D now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I did that, like, I went to see, uh, they were screening Alien, which was awesome, and I was really oh, excited wow. on that. It was like a film print and everything, except uh, me and a friend that went had, had like, a couple of glasses of wine before we went in and then we're like, oh, we may as well get the biggest the biggest cup you can get because we're going to be in there for a while. And then I drank the whole thing in the first, like, ten minutes and then, like, partway through the sequence when they're landing on the planet, I just realised I was about to throw up, stood up, threw up at the lobby, <laughs> and then left and went home. Terrible, terrible. Uh, yeah, it was a great, great cinematic experience. 
Uh, I do like that they will let you, um, at some of those cinemas, like the gold class ones, they will let you go in and say, like, okay, I want a beer now. And then 20 minutes in, bring me another beer. And then 40 minutes in, bring me another beer. You can, like, stage all of your drinking and they'll come and bring it to your seat at, at particular times. Oh, I like that. Which is nice. If you're looking to pace yourself a bit more, you know. I'm not. You can get into that kind of thing. So, let us change subjects slightly and um, ask Danny. Danny, do you have any favorite Australian cinema? Uh, well, I mean, I, over the years, I've uh, racked up quite a number of uh, uh, favorite uh, Australian films. Uh, the first one that I ever saw uh, was when I was about, I guess, I, like five years old. My dad took me to see The Road Warrior, Mad Max 2. Um, oh, I had not seen the first um, because I was I was a baby when the first one came out, um, and it was for some reason he thought, oh, this will be you know a, a good idea. I can take him to see this movie. <laughs> well, because I mean, I was I was fairly precocious and like I could handle violence and all of that, but you know, still it was borderline questionable decision. So he took me uh, to this sort of. Uh, you know, not the most upscale movie theater uh, around in, in, in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and uh, around the time in the movie when the, like the, was it the, the feral kid kills the guy with the metal boomerang and his, his top is all scandalized. And these leather queens, like a couple rows behind us were like, Oh no, you've done it now. And my, and my, and, and, and my dad, like, f- suddenly fucking realized he was like, everybody else in this movie theater except for me and my five year old son are a bunch of drunk leather queens. You know, so, so that, that made the experience, like, really, you know, it's like, it, it, you know, traumatizing for my dad, wonderful for me, because I was like, wow, all the other grown-ups in this place are really enjoying this movie, you know? And they were all tripping about the fact, it's like, oh my god, there's a five-year-old kid here, what the, you know? And, uh, you know, so so that, that, you know, that got my relationship with Australian cinema off to a nice, you know, fortuitous start, I would say. Um, Mm. And, uh, yeah, so I mean, I love the the Mad Max series. Uh, Honestly, really, um, uh, really love Peter Weir. Uh, that guy's just, guy just rules. And like, all well, like he's, mm. you know, it, it, and he's, he almost changes things up every time out, but it's, you know, just the attention to detail and care for the craft. I mean, the guy's just a fucking ace, you know? And, um, I, I remember when we were uh, talking about me coming on, I mentioned, uh, Jane Campion, forgetting that she was, you know, originally from New Zealand, which was a, a okay. we'll take credit. on my part. Mm. Yeah. Well, we'll yeah. If, yep. if you're going to claim Jane Campion, then, you know, it's like, then she's, I mean, it, it, you know, I mean, what more can you say? I mean, she's like, um, I even like in the cut. You know, I mean, that's that's how deep I go with you. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, I remember seeing that one at the uh, at the cinema and being pretty nonplussed. Yeah, I remember like uh, uh, like for most of the movie being sort of like up and down. Does this sucker? Is this really great? And and you know, and and I think it's both. <laughs> In, mm. in, in in some ways, because I mean, there are there are bits there are bits about that movie that are not good, but there there are also like, I, I mean, it was you know, it was Meg Ryan as you've never seen it before, which you know, for uh, you know, I guess like for archival purposes is is essential. Um, uh, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, there's there was something 
There was a there was a movie that I had proposed to watch for this, but then I realized that it was totally out of print in America Ooh. and I guess in Australia as well. Uh, it was a movie from 1997 called Kiss or Kill. There, I remember seeing got like a limited art house release in America, and it was this really great, like you know, it was a very low budget, um, sort of neo noir uh, type uh, picture about like you know. There's a misunderstanding involving like a, a, a very compromising blackmail tape, and these people are all like killing each other over it. And it was this yeah, I had never yeah. seen or heard of this movie. And it was this but, um... little fucking crime picture, but yeah, it was just like totally out of print everywhere. And it's like, and I was like, uh, made the joke. It's like, oh yeah, I went looking for an Australian movie, and I found one that was so Australian that it's out of print in America. You know. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, um, it, it, and then there was a, there was a documentary that came out here a few years ago about, like, the, the history of, like, Australian grindhouse uh, movies. Uh, what was it? Um, God, now I don't even remember what the fuck it was oh. called. Oh, I, it's right, right on the tip of my tongue also. Yeah, but it was, yeah, it was, it was like, all about, like, the, um, like, low-budget, like, you know, sexploitation movies in the 70s, and then... Uh, about like a half hour in, it's like and then George Miller happened and everything changed forever. You know, um, uh, is it uh, is it not quite Hollywood? The wild untold story Hollywood. of exploitation. There you go. Yeah, and and that was that was a fun uh, uh, picture to watch because it was like because I'd heard of a number of the things mentioned in it. You know, it's like and they touched you know very briefly on you know like the art cinema. And they're like, let's get back to the fun grindhouse stuff. You know? <laughs> so I mean, it's like it's it's never been. Uh, like a, a specific area of expertise for me. Like, I mean, I, you know, could not, you know, write very authoritatively on Australian cinema, but I always, uh, you know, every so often I'm just like, oh, let me pop one of these in. Oh, this is fucking great, you know. Um, and so, yeah, it's just basically been the the nature of uh, the relationship to Australian cinema is just like, oh, yeah, this is good shit uh, every, every, every once in a while. Look, as long as you truly appreciate our contributions to the world of art in the form of films like uh, 1987's Howling 3, The Marsupials. <laughs> <laughs> BMX Bandits, that is very good. Oh, uh, BMX Bandits, yeah. Well, it, 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 that, that's one of those that's like historically important. Yes, yes. Yeah, for, uh, for Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman's, yeah. Nicole Kidman's canon. Um, yes. Although Nicole Kidman's from Hawaii. Yeah. There you go, folks. Yeah. Not even Australian. Huh. I had no idea. I feel like I should check that that's true. <laughs> yeah, if you made that up, I'm going to be real mad. <laughs> no, that is, that, that is true. Oh. But I think, like, one or both of her parents was Australian, but she was born in, in Honolulu. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Huh. Uh, Russell Crowe, not from Australia. I hope... God, I hope Guy Pearce is technically from Australia. <laughs> oh, I have so, too. There was a bit of Guy Pierce, friend of the show. I love all of Guy Pierce. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was born in the UK. Shit. God right. damn it! I I, I remembered that it was somebody like I couldn't remember whether it was Guy Pierce or Hugh Jackman, but I remember that one of them was born in in, in England. Yeah. Unbelievable. God, we're good at taking credit for. Well, but one of the great things about Australia is that anybody can be from anywhere, but they can be Australian because everybody came from somewhere to Australia or, or anybody of European descent anyway, you know. Mm. 
It's interesting that you say that because we are currently having a massive um, <laughs> political and constitutional crisis um, in our government because uh, it's just turning out that um, like senator after senator and MP after MP um, turns out all hold like dual citizenships and really um, that makes people yeah constitutionally unable to stand for election in Australia. So, yeah, we just had this absolutely ridiculous, like, two-month-long string of um, just person after person going, oh, um, turns out I'm actually also a citizen of the UK, and I need to look into that. Uh, so, yeah, all of these, all of the, like, like it's, it's very much in danger of bringing down the current government, because they have a small enough majority... That um that if they lose like if the high court declares I don't know like three of the people that are that are dual citizens to have been ineligible to stand for election at the time that they did then they might just have to not have a government anymore, which would be good because they suck they suck ass yeah 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 because was, was, uh, not been hearing good uh, things uh... it's not it's not a great government that we got going at the moment well in that we share we, we share that in common at least. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's, uh, well, I, I don't know. You guys have kind of got a different, different level, a different fever pitch of insanity going at the moment. Yeah. Things, it, it's <laughs> like, there's no need to even, like, fucking parse details. We're just fucked. <laughs> Every, everything is just like, like, there's, it, it, the, the only ends that are in sight involve wildly convoluted, magical things to happen. So, um, we're basically all just trying to like keep our heads. I mean, I was about to say keep our heads above water. That's literally the the, the people in Florida Ugh. are going through right now. Um, mm. I mean, it, it, yeah, this is not like this is not peak America, you know. But um, <laughs> I mean, it's it, it, yeah, it's just fucking. Uh, <laughs> it's, that, that, that's that's my trenchant political commentary at the moment. Is fuck it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's like it's not good. It's not good. It's uh, yeah, it's bad. It's not great. It's bad. It's, yeah. Yeah. Politics, once again, <laughs> folks. Politics is bad. Yes. Very true. <laughs> uh, well, coming back to um, coming back to Guy Pierce, um, who it turns out at the age of sixteen was a competitive amateur bodybuilder, huh. who oh, won the title of ju of Junior Mister Victoria. There you go, there you go, Guy Pierce. Yeah. yeah, but uh, one of the, one of the movies that we did um, talk about before your appearance on the show, Danny, was um, was The Rover, starring yes. Guy Pierce from 2014, which was um, which I liked. I thought that was a good little, good little post-apocalyptic uh, outback movie, somewhat in the Mad Max tradition, and. Um, Bit of bit of Robert Pattinson as well playing against his uh, sparkling vampire type. I like Robert Pattinson. Yeah, Pattinson's. A I good give egg. him the time of day. And he's he's been working so hard to just like thoroughly shove that old uh, image into the closet that he's been doing some like very interesting character work in in movies the last mm. few years. And I really liked his performance in The Rover. Um, I didn't think that it necessarily fit with the rhythm or the like t tenor or tone of uh, the rest of the movie 
But it was one of those things where it's like I, I, I admired him for, for trying stuff. I mean, like, I think I probably liked the movie a little bit. Because like, I was I was frustrated by it. Because there were, like, things that I really liked in it and things that were... So it, it, the thing, the main thing that, that fucked with me in that movie was that I didn't feel like it was necessary to withhold the information about who Guy Pierce was and why he was the way he was until so late in the movie. Like, I feel like it wouldn't have hurt, it, it wouldn't have hurt anything to know who he was because you don't know anything about him except he's Guy Pierce riding around fucking shit up for like most of the movie. And then you realize it's like, oh, yeah, he's like a reasonable guy with like, there's a real reason why he's this pissed off at everybody. Um, but, and, and I don't feel like it would have harmed the movie any to just know that at the beginning. And it was part of a trend in a lot of movies, uh, particularly American independent movies. This is a fucking plague around like 2013, 2014, was just movies mm. where it was assumed that the uh the protagonist being this like you know opaque you know like taciturn you know just angry man was inherently fascinating when it, it when it really wasn't and and every single fucking movie was waiting until the third act to like introduce the protagonist when he'd been moping through the entire movie to that point and i mean there was so much that was so good about the rover like the atmosphere was great. Michelle was filling the screen just so gorgeously with like these wonderful, like desert, bleak, dry, hot images, and there were these like great, you know, great character work going on in the cast and everything. And Guy Pierce, despite the fact that he's being crippled by a poorly written character, is still fucking rules because he's Guy Pierce. And then, but but it was like the movie was crippling itself by not letting it by not like you know being a fulsome thing until about 20 minutes to the end of the movie, which, it, I mean, it was more frustrating than anything else. And I don't mean to, you know, like, sorry, babbling like this, you know, like, the, like shitting on your enjoyment of the movie because I don't really <laughs> doing that. But it was just, that was the thing, that movie in particular, like, still, you know, like, three years later, I'm just like, why couldn't they have just fucking, ah! you know. Yeah, it's like, it's like the first hour kind of just feels nasty because of it. Yeah. Like, he's just going around fucking shit up, but it's not in, like, a survival sort of way. Like, he just shoots someone in cold blood because he wouldn't give him a gun. And it's like, oh, that's that's just not a very nice thing to do. <laughs> it's the world he's living in. And I feel, I feel like that kind harsh. of nastiness yeah. kind of was in Animal Kingdom as well, which was um, uh, the same same yeah. writer, writer and director. And I think Animal Kingdom was a great movie, but it did share that same same sort of nastiness and high body count and that kind of thing mm. well it did do that but, it, well, there but is... it didn't do the thing of withholding the whole because no, right. like, i mean because that was the thing about animal kingdom was that you knew what was going on from the top of the movie like you know you knew what the score was but that was the thing in in the rover you were like is this supposed to be cool is this supposed to be horrifying like Thrown, you know, like, because I mean, you know, movies shouldn't have to, like, you know, tell the audience how to watch them, you know, necessarily, but just like, you just had to give us a little bit more, you know what I'm saying? Just like, like, because we didn't even know who he was. Well, he's a man that had mm. his, uh, had his Commodore stolen. He's fucking mad as a cut snake <laughs> about it. <laughs> Which is the most Australian plot device I think I can, I can actually think of. 
Yeah, so what did, what did you say about it while you were watching it, Theo, that it was like the shortest... The shortest um... time to Commodore um, rating of all... The, the TTC score. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to... Um, uh, we'll, I think we're going to talk about um, Mystery Road a bit more as well, but it, you know, um, it has a time to Commodore score of about two minutes, right? Which is pretty good. Mm. Like, that's a pretty good TTC. But this one yeah. literally starts with the camera looking out of the window of a Commodore and... To me, uh, they couldn't have got the details more right. As far as a, as far as a post-apocalyptic movie set in Australia, a dust-stained but still well-maintained Commodore is the mm. absolute peak Australia. Uh, what? Uh, out of curiosity, because I've I've not seen the film because I'm oh haven't you wilderness? Yeah, no. Uh, what homework, what model but... Commodore is it? Oh fuck, now you're gonna. I, I I don't know. You gonna do this to me? <laughs> I would like do, roughly what year, if that if that helps. Uh like twenty fourteen ish. Also, like the around the VE. What I don't know. Who knows? Jesus. <laughs> well, the the movie's from twenty fourteen, but um, but who knows? Who knows what year the Commodore could be from? This is really disappointing for me. I'm been really let down. I just thought you guys would know. I, I can clarify this for you. Um, as seen in the film The Rover, it is a 2011 Holden Commodore SSV Redline Series 2. VE. Called it. VE, yes. Bam. Not even seen the movie. Unbelievable. You guys aren't even real Australians. <laughs> picked it Picked it like a dirty nose. That's true. I would never use that expression. <laughs> it is... It is, in fact, a very similar model of Commodore to the one uh, driven by the lead character in uh, 2013's Mystery Road. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. So, so did you get a chance to check that one out, Denny? Oh, yeah, I watched it earlier today. Um, and and uh, I have thoughts. <laughs> so, yes, Mystery Road is a 2013 kind of, um, kind of like a neo-Western uh, set in the outback in which uh, an indigenous detective comes back to the, the town that he used to live and work in. Um, and, he's, uh, and he's investigating the, the death of a young girl that gets found in, in like a culvert under a highway. And um, it's by, directed by Ivan Sen, who I believe has done a number of other quite interesting, like neo-noir Australian kind of films. Yeah, it's a uh, very very similar to the rover in terms of just that that desolate outback um and real sense of isolation and alienation, I think. The two of them. But yeah, what were your thoughts on that day? Uh, uh I mean, it was one of those things where it's like I I didn't quite know what to make of it for a while. Like I was so, you know, I was just sort of sitting there and I was like, all right, well, let's see just let this unfold for a bit more and, you know, like, you know, tr and, you know, get a sense of it, get a beat on it, you know, like after a bit. And it wasn't really until, uh, very near the end with the, the climactic, uh, confrontation between, uh, the detective and the rather mysterious, uh, antagonists, uh, in it, that final climax, the way that it was just like put together with, um, just I mean, the, 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 like with guys with sniper rifles, like you know, firing off a shot, and then with the editing being such that it's like you don't, you know, the bullet doesn't land until a second later because they're so far apart, and suddenly that it, itself made me 
realize that a lot of the things about like the spareness and distance of the way that the shots were being composed early on and the way that it was being cut together, it was about the detective being alienated from a lot of the you know society that he was in because of mm. you know being indigenous and dealing with a lot of you know like racist white cops and you know like the uh you know just like all of that just like clicked into place and 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 ultimately you know like realized it was like yeah okay like i mean i see what this guy's doing with it and it was it was a really rewarding uh you know like experience like it all paid off at that point and i also mm. realized that with all the the sparseness and the slowness of the thing was that it was moving along at a really uh, like, you know, like, really good, solid, rhythmic clip. Like, because, I mean, a lot of slow movies, it's because they're, it's meandering. In this case, it was, there was no mm. meandering at all. It was, like, actually contemplative, and it was portraying the alienation, uh, you know, between, you know, despite of the fact that, you know, like, Jay has, you know, like, devoted, you know, like, all of his time to being, you know, like, the, you know, like, well-trained elite detective and like the straight arrow devoted to law and order there's still that inherent alienation with the rest of the society because just of being brown skinned you know and um i was gonna say there were those moments like um where where he's talking to a, a young aboriginal kid who might potentially have a an important piece of evidence and you know the the kid will let him have it if he can look at his gun for a minute. Yeah. And yeah, like yeah. that, that scene just made me incredibly tense because he, you know, he is a, like he's a, it, by, by all impressions, he's like a, a very upstanding cop and everything. And you can just see him weighing up. He keeps looking around him the whole time as he's like taking the clip and the, and the chambered round out of yeah. his gun. And he just keeps, keeps if checking all around him. And he's me doing this shit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I am yeah. completely fucked. Yeah, it's yeah. just this um this real moment of him kind of weighing up the potential risk of what he was doing in terms of like you know if anybody saw me doing this or if someone took a photo of it that'd be that'd be me done versus just kind of needing to do this fairly innocuous thing to um to you know keep the case moving and that yeah, yeah that that scene for some reason just filled me with dread while it was happening even though yeah, it was so very it. kind of very kind of low key. Yeah, the but, same um, here. It was like, and those those little kind of details and observed moments were what lent the movie a lot of the you know the sort of richness of detail that kept it moving forward, even when it like it wasn't moving forward very quickly as far as events were concerned. But it was like mm. that that attention to detail and that full understanding of uh, the subject of the movie, you know, like you know being a racial minority in a country that, you know, sort of, I mean, I know that Australia and America have very different histories with, you know, uh, race, the racism and like racial tension, and everything like that. But the, it, and that the sort of, I mean, I don't know if I'm like overstepping my bounds by saying this, but like, you know, that it's a little bit more kind of unacknowledged, like it isn't as openly discussed there. As, yeah. As here, so yeah. I would agree yeah. That. I think I think that's very fair. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think I, I I've found myself saying this before on the show when we've talked to American guests about that aspect of of Australian American history is that I think there are more parallels between our indigenous populations. 
Right. Um, yeah. Where you know, and I can even, I can even sort of think of, I'm trying to think of some examples of um, movies like, uh, it's there's a movie called um, Thunderheart from 1992 with right. uh, Val Kilmer. Oh, Val yeah, Kilmer yeah, and yeah, yeah. Graham Greene. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's um and that's about like a a um a like half white, half native American um FBI agent. Right. You know, and yeah. he has to go out he has to go out to a um what's the word? A to reservation. A reservation, yeah, yeah. Investigating something. And it's it's that very similar vibe of um it's a very similar vibe of distrust from the community that he's originally from. Um, while also never, never being accepted completely as, as a part of the organization that he's working for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is similar. Yeah. In the sense of, you know, like in straddling both worlds, but being actually part of neither kind of, yeah. 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 They definitely, they definitely have that in, um, Mystery Road where, yeah, it really feels like, um, yeah, that he's absolutely not accepted by or trusted by any of the other cops. Um, any of the other, you know, the all white police force, but at the same time, there's lots of moments where he's talking to, you know, Aboriginal people in his community, and um, and there will be a lot of general distrust based on the fact that he's that he's a cop, or you know, as one one informant says to him, "How do you sleep at night locking up your own people all the time?" Yeah. And, um, well, and then there's that, uh, and there's also that that scene when when hugo weaving is first introduced uh as one of the other cops um like very I, greasy I, hugo weaving in this movie yeah oh man he, he's you know he, he's definitely putting in some work in this one yeah but <laughs> like in that in the first scene when yeah jay walks into the office and he walks right by hugo weaving i couldn't figure out whether he was saying because i mean i i was having a little bit of difficulty like plowing through the the, the accents um, I could not for the life of me figure out whether Hugo Weaving said to him Abai as like short for Aborigine or whether he was saying J boy uh, Abo Abo he, right. So the Ryan Quanton's character says to him when he when he shows up at his property, "Oh, so you that Abo copper?" Well, that was another a different moment, yeah. But but this was I I couldn't figure out. So that would have been um yeah him saying Abo, which is uh, derogatory. Yeah, which is uh, not for Aboriginal. Not nice but yeah, I think I think Hugo Weaving uh, did keep calling him J Boy and kept calling him Boy all the time yeah. as well. Yeah, but it was because he, he was like affecting an even thicker accent than he had, so it sounded like he was saying Abai, which I knew wasn't right because I knew that the word and not to keep on hammering using a an impolite word over and over again, but you know, like a, a, like I couldn't quite like I mean, and I was tempted for a second to like rewind it and turn the subtitles on, but I was like. Really? Come on, man! The movie's in English. Don't do that. You know, <laughs> so, so, you know, so I, I kept, I, I, I kept plowing through. But that one. Oh man, I, I had I a like, few moments. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and With, that was um, the other because... thing that was, that was, uh, that I was wondering too. So that part of the country, even though it's uh, like in the northeast, it's still the outback. I'm sorry, yeah, if that's think... a really dumb question. No, no, it's a good, it's a great question. I think like it's worth a little bit of context. So it's like set in a town called Winton. Um, which is, um, so I grew up in North Queensland or, or I guess central Queensland, but North as far as people live. And it's sort of West, um, from there. And 
it's further west than I went out to Longreach once as a kid, and that's a long way west, and it's further west than that. So it's more rural than you know I've certainly been for at a been in in a, like a long period of time, and um, I think it's like it's something you don't see a lot of in Australian movies and TV, uh, like towns that are that rural. But I think they captured it really well. Yeah, well, I was just wondering sometimes... whether it was like the whole country that wasn't like Sydney, Melbourne, and like you know, and all of that. Whether like the whole country that wasn't the big cities in, in the in the south was just considered the outback or something. Like, I mean, I you know, I wasn't. I was a little bit fuzzy well, on that, but that did clarify. Uh, you, you don't have to get that yeah, far yeah, from yeah. the coast before you're in the outback. Really, it's like okay. the part of the coast that is green and populated is only like a hundred, two hundred k's wide. And then, uh, okay. like, 90% of the country is outback because it is a very stupid, ridiculous country. <laughs> mm. Well, um, yeah, it's funny. I I was talking to somebody about this uh, recently, and it was it was making me think of a previous guest that we had on the show, a uh, friend of the show, Eliza Gager. And one of the things that we were talking about in terms of, like, the kind of parallel, the parallel um, development of... Um, like cinematic language in in Australia and the states is that America has um America has the whole kind of wild west cowboy thing and Australia has the whole kind of outback uh bush ranger kind of thing and <clears throat> the, uh, but there seems to be this different vibe where um in the states there are absolutely plenty of movies where you know they're they're filmed as though um being out in remote rural areas is kind of inherently dangerous. There's lots of like the kind of, you know, um, there's lots of the, the sort of Texas chainsaw massacre type slasher stuff. There's lots of, um, even, even those things like winter's bone. Um, right. Which is those, so those sorts of movies of like, <clears throat> yeah, getting out into, getting out into rural areas and like closed communities that don't want you to come out there and where things are, things are very alien. And there's that sense that, you know, if you, if you look down the wrong street or, or kind of poke your nose in where it doesn't belong, you might just kind of disappear. Um, and there's a lot of similar stuff in Australian, uh, cinema in that sense of, yeah, when you get right out into the outback and it's just, it's just kind of alien and empty and really far away from anything. And that idea that if you just, if you just walked a couple of kilometers in one direction, you just might disappear and no one will ever see you again. But, um, but we, we don't seem to have as much of the same parallel that there is in American cinema of affection for those areas too. I mean, you can think of like, um, even, even like comedies and romantic comedies and stuff where someone, someone's from a rural area, but they've moved to the big city and, you know, they're, they're living the fast paced life and everything. And they're not that happy with whatever their deal is. And they, they have to like go back to their hometown for some reason, or they have to go to like a rural community and they suddenly like, <clears throat> they suddenly learn a new and appreciation for like the values of small town people or of rural communities or whatever. Whereas I, I feel like I can't think of as many parallels in Australian cinema for, people going to the outback or going to a rural town and going, ah, I see what this is all about. I see why people live here and what's so great about it. I think Instead, you're forgetting it's... about the classic Australian series, McLeod's Daughters, Andrew. <laughs> well, yes. 
Yes. And in in talking to someone about this, they brought up uh, they brought up the show Sea Change um, with Sigrid Thornton. Was she in that? Uh, from the Australian classic, the the Man from Snowy River. Uh, but yeah, and I and I sort of found myself thinking about that particular thing because that's representative of something in between where it's it's there are a lot of people who move away from cities to like towns on the coast um, and sort of coastal areas, and that's that's sort of a big spot for people to go and retire to or to kind of you know live live the sweet life. But people don't people don't have that same kind of thing of like moving way out into the outback, you know, to like for somewhere to retire to or a nice place to live. Well, I think um, the, uh, the, 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 the reason for the slight disconnect between American and Australian movies in this regard is that like when America moved West, it was this hugely romanticized, like a mythologized thing where it's like we ended up, you know, it ended up taking on, this sort of like place in the culture and in the American mindset that, you know, just like had no relation to reality and the, the, the romanticization and like the fetishization of small town life just never really left the American consciousness. Um, and the relationship between Australia and the outback seems to be different because like there wasn't ever this massive push westward Hmm. Was there? I mean, because I because nah. I think just like ge- geographically speaking, the way Australia was was settled and the way the population became distributed over the uh, the continent was just it, it just completely different and fundamentally different from the way that uh, the population sh- moved and just you know organically distributed itself in America. I mean, and that's why, I mean, that's the, I just, the, the reason for that disconnect is that it's just, it's that simple. It's like, it's the, the difference in the way that people settled the land. Yeah. I think, I think the sense of isolation is totally different because, yeah. um, you know, the, the, the U S like, um, North America and not North America, the U S and Australia are like roughly geographically the same sort of area. Right. But if you look at a map of the states, it's it's just kind of covered. Like, there's something going on the whole way along. So, like, no matter where you are, surely you could get in a car and be in a town or a city within an hour or two. This is something that I have um, found firsthand over the last couple of weeks. Like, I've driven... Yeah. Like, I, I've, like, intentionally tried to avoid major highways and major cities and... It's impossible to drive like more than an hour without seeing like at least a town. Whereas you get into the middle of Australia mm. and you're not going to see ship for like hundreds of kilometers. Drive for hours yeah. and hours. Yeah. Plus, well, did, did you guys ever see the Blair Witch Project? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So when that movie came out, there was like a. Like, I remember getting a conversation with somebody who thought it was totally unrealistic that somebody could get lost in the woods in Maryland for that long. And I was like, yeah, that's the whole point of the movie. The fact that they were wandering in the fucking forest in Maryland for three days meant that something was supernaturally off. Because you literally mm. can't walk for more than a day in the East Coast of the United States without, you know, finding somebody. And, you know, the fact that they were wandering around the woods for three days 
without seeing any sign of human civilization or like visibly, you know, like circling. Because you would have to literally walk in circles and like, you know, walk past the same shit four times a day in order to stay lost in the woods in that part of the country for that long. Mm. So, I mean, it was just a matter of, you know, it's like, are, are you like, this is bullshit? Or are you like, oh, man, something's wrong? You know, I mean, and I think because the person who was, uh, who was you know, like saying, I, I don't remember what part of uh, America they were from, but it's like, yeah, it's like that, that just condensed nature of um, the east half of the, of the country anyway. I mean, there are still parts of the West where you can you can get pretty lost in the middle of nowhere, like out in um, the plains and like Montana and stuff. But mm. I mean, yeah, it's it it's like you know, it's it just it's a whole it's orders of magnitude different from the way that it is in the outback. Yeah, it's funny, and it's funny you say that, Danny, because I reckon like once every couple of months in Australia there'll be a story about American tourists going for a hike somewhere in Australia. And uh-huh. they'll just get a little bit lost and they'll go, well, I'll just walk in one direction until I find uh, yeah. until I find something. And they either die or they're not seen for days and they get picked up and they're on the news going, well, we just, we just didn't, didn't realize you can't just walk and then there'll be something because there isn't. There's nothing there. You, mm. you walk yeah. just to your death. Yeah, you could just walk for days and days in a single direction and hit nothing. Yep. Well, I mean, there there are a couple of things at play there. One is that, yeah, Australia is on a scale that's totally unfamiliar with Americans. But the other thing is that American tourists have their heads up their ass. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. Just to, just to jump back to Mystery Road for a second, um, I would say I recommend people check that one out. And um, it was probably a slightly different viewing experience for us in the sense that um, it's got a real who's who cast of Australian actors. So for me watching that film, it was one where just scene after scene after scene was, whoa, it's it's Jack Thompson. Oh, it's Tony Barry. Oh, it's like um, all just really, really recognizable um, veterans of, of Australian cinema. Uh, it even had uh, The Coroner was... Um, Played by Bruce Spence, Who's, who you may have recognised from yep. Mad Max: The Road Warrior. He's legally required to be in every movie that's filmed in <laughs> Australia. Yes. Yeah. Because it, it was the exact opposite for me. Because the only two actors in the movie that I recognised were Bruce Spence and Hugo Weaving. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so I mean, there you go. Cultural differences. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was. Uh, but no, it was very. It was very. Um. Very noticeable in that sense. Um. There is a. There is a. A, a pseudo sequel uh, called Goldstone, which is um, by the same director and with Aaron Peterson carrying on as the same character. It's another another detective story with um, Detective Jay Swan, and apparently they're turning it into a TV series. Hmm. That's cool. So there you go, there you go, folks. Uh, Aaron Peterson and Judy Davis are going to be in a series of Mystery Road for the ABC. Can I just touch on something I really enjoyed in? this movie that I think maybe um, might go unnoticed is the um, yes the environmental audio in this movie is amazing. Um, mm. And I think a lot of the sense right. of place that you get from this movie comes from the incredible kind of soundscapes that they managed to record. And in like the first scene um, with, uh, which is this beautiful, like wide shot of 
um, uh, like just plains with like dusk and the sun sort of rising. Um, they have just this constant soundtrack of plovers. Um, and mm. I don't know, um, Danny, you'll probably know, you guys don't have plovers in the sense that we have plovers and that they're these horrible hell birds. They're that, fucking like, nasty <laughs> monsters from hell that attacked they... me when I was a child and now I'm terrified <laughs> of them. And they just shriek constantly with this sort of like ack, ack, ack kind of noise. And it came on the... Oh, that's the... what that fucking sound was in there. Yes. Oh, yeah. and, okay, and okay. Is... And, and so I think for Because it was Americans... really creepy. Yeah, yeah, and f- yeah, and for Americans, um, if you're going to watch this movie for a reason, I think it's it's like the sense of place is something you really get from it, and it's so much that I was I like um, reflexively looked outside to see if there, any of the little shits had set up in my yard because <laughs> they're everywhere, and and yeah, and the, there's just all of these wonderful sounds um, in in the movie that I don't think you get anywhere else, and like there's another scene where they're in um, that. Um, he kind of walks through an abandoned Queenslander house, um, which is just mm. this big, empty, wooden and fibro kind of kind of building. And you can hear the house move, and you can hear the tin red uh, tin roof. Yeah, kind hear of all the corrugated shift. iron roof creaking. Um, and right. um, and to me, all these little details um, probably probably went. You know, I think unnoticed, um, but I, I I really enjoyed their their sound on this movie. Um, on the other side of that, I, I I felt that there were sort of similarities um, in the score to some Peter Weir type stuff in the sense that um, it was really quite minimal on um, mm. on music or or what you would even describe as music. But yeah, really, really just kind of ethereal ambience in in kind of establishing shots in between some scenes and stuff. But other than that, very little in the way of of actual music. Yeah, and it worked for the tone that was uh, being attempted and achieved, you know, er, for this uh, movie. Like, you know, it definitely, the, the, I mean, the sound was great. I mean, I wasn't, you know, picking up on the significance of uh, the details of the sound, but, like, was definitely noting throughout, and especially the way, this is a particular preoccupation of mine, but the way gunshots are recorded in movies is always something that, like, I sort of, and it's not to the point where it's like, you know, a deal breaker if they suck or anything like that. But it's more to the point of when they're really good, like I can tell that it's just the fullness of the sound of the metal hitting metal. And, you know, mm. was uh, that those those were quite good in, in this. And especially, like I alluded to earlier, the the sense of distance achieved by just putting a little bit of silence between the pulling of the trigger and the landing of the bullet at its at its target, and the fact that they were so far away with the sniper rifles, and they weren't just getting the shot the first time the way that people always do in bad movies, because it's like, yeah, these guys are really far apart. It's going to take them like three or four shots to finally hit the other guy in like the shoulder, you know. Mm. And it was particularly impressive when Jake takes out the car in the end by like nailing the tire and then finally, you know, like getting, um, uh, Ryan Quantin, you know, just headshotting him from like that long distance. Uh, you know, but one, one, one thing that I hadn't noted that I did want to point out was that those, those twilight shots, like those, those Mm. twilight cinemascope like shots were just fucking gorgeous. I mean, the colors 
that they were getting out of the sunsets in it were like just lovely and really just spooky and great, you know, establishing the, you know, the, the dark noir mood, like really, really well. Um, yeah. I, I really like how, how low they kept the lighting for a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was, and it was almost a shame with some of the other scenes where it was like more, where the purpose was more to highlight just like how kind of like, you know, dry and washed out and hot everything uh, was in the town. It's like, yeah, you needed like, you know, flatter, uh, higher light for those scenes. But I mean, even that, when I was talking earlier about like nothing, everything really falling to place for me in the end, like I, I couldn't, you know, I wasn't exactly sure early on whether like the, the stuff was deliberate. But once I realized that everything was deliberate and had a purpose, um, mm. I started really just being like, you know, that's a good fucking movie right there. You know? But yeah, I'd, I'd be I'd be keen to check out some of um, Ivan Sen's other stuff because, yeah, by all reports, uh, they're very very impactful films. All right, so uh, we might we might leave it there for the moment because we've been we've been gabbing for a while. Yeah. Uh, and if if you've got a, a bit more time, Danny, maybe we'll um, go and take some take some questions from the audience over on the other uh, bonus episode if you have a few more minutes. All right, folks. So, we're going to leave it there, and we will be back. Bye-bye. Bye. See ya.